This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Today, we're talking all about non-kosher Jewish food. But before we dig in, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on, and with the indigenous communities of that area. Uh, This episode is coming out uh, still with a little bit of time before American Thanksgiving. I think that'll be next week. Uh, But obviously that is on the horizon. And when we have these, you know, autumnal harvest celebration feasts that are also really, really directly linked to colonialism, uh, I think it's really important to just be thinking about that and thinking about the troublesome history around it. Like you can celebrate and eat with family and friends and it's never a bad thing to get together and, and share a meal and remind each other that you love each other. But it's also important to, you know, reflect on the past and reflect on, frankly, the present of the things that your country is doing to actively, you know, continue to culturally genocide a people group who were here first. So yeah, you know, just have a a thoughtful and conscientious Thanksgiving this year if you are someone who celebrates it. Speaking of being thoughtful and conscientious, uh, obviously I am back in school now and I'm taking a course this semester on the interplay between food and religion. Um, So it was kind of inevitable that at some point the topic of Jewish dietary law was going to come up on the show. Um, Because I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about food and religion, Judaism is really the one that immediately jumps to mind. Uh, Partly because I grew up in Montreal with a lot of Jewish friends and there is a large Jewish population here. uh, But also partly just because I think Judaism is a religion that gets a lot more screen time than others uh, in terms of like pop culture references and and visibility, I guess, in the media in terms of holidays and whatnot. Uh, you know, obviously less than Christianity because Christianity is the white supremacy religion, uh, but Judaism still, you know, 
you'd be hard pressed to not find Jewish characters on TV having a meal and eating Jewish food. Uh, and so, you know, when I'm taking a food and religion course, it's inevitable I'm going to talk about Jewish dietary law at some point on this show. Um, but for those of you who aren't familiar, Kashrut, the Jewish dietary law, is a series of laws and instructions dealing with the preparation of food and also with which foods are and aren't okay to eat. Um, the names for foods that are okay is kosher, and the names for foods that are not okay is treif. Uh, now, my guest and I are going to get into this a lot in this episode, but not every Jewish person keeps kosher. Uh, and among those who do, there's a lot of variation as to how laws are observed and, like, to what extent. Um... For example, one friend I had growing up kept kosher, you know, would not eat things that were not kosher, but was pretty lax about, you know, what kind of utensils were used or what kind of restaurants we went to as long as the food was, you know, ostensibly kosher. Whereas another friend that I grew up with had two separate sets of everything in the kitchen down to having two fridges and two sinks because they wanted to keep meat and dairy separate in their household. And, you know, both of those are valid expressions of Judaism and both of those are valid ways of doing kosher. Um, it's really, there's a lot of variation. It's very complicated. Um, but to put things really generally, when we talk about kosher dietary restrictions, we're usually talking about a handful of basic principles. So one, the meat consumption is limited to specific types of meat, uh, specific types of animals, uh, and very specifically excludes things like pork and shellfish. Two, the animals that are slaughtered for consumption need to be slaughtered in specific ways uh, that align with it, and the meat has to be salted and drained of blood to be made kosher before eating it. Three, you don't mix meat and dairy. That's a no-no, uh, sometimes to the extent of having two separate kitchen setups, like I mentioned before, uh, but usually just so far as not preparing or eating them at the same time. So those are kind of the three sort of main tenets, I guess. Um, so when we talk about kosher Jewish food in the North American context, we're generally talking about things that follow those rules. Uh, so for instance, you might have burgers, but not cheeseburgers, because you don't mix meat and dairy. You might have pizza, but no pepperoni on it. You might have eggs for breakfast, but no bacon, because bacon is pork, and you know you, you don't do that, so you might have all beef sausage instead. You get the idea. But Jewish food goes way beyond just the things that are kosher. It goes way beyond kosher substitutes for things as well, right? Like beef bacon exists as a sort of workaround for, you know, wanting bacon with your breakfast. But like, that's not all that Jewish food is. There is a whole lot to it, especially considering Judaism is a religion practiced in many parts of the world, not just North America, not just East Coast North America, you know, cities like Montreal and New York, for instance. Uh, there is a lot of food that is Jewish food, um, and it, it expands very, very far beyond the sort of uh, sphere that we're in today. But this will hopefully give you a little bit of an idea about Jewish food. And my guest this week is very excited to tell us all about some of his favorites. So without further ado, let's dig in. My guest on this week's episode of the No Bad Food Podcast is Eric Silver. Eric is the head of creative at Multitude and the DM of the Join the Party Podcast. Eric, thank you so much for joining me. Well, you said I was allowed to talk about food and maybe someone would listen to it. Uh, so I ran over as fast as I could. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you, you put out a call on Twitter and you were like, I want to be a guest on a podcast. And I was like, be a guest on my podcast. Let's talk about food. Let's do the thing. I am. And I did it. Here's the thing. Like, I will because I'm like, hey, you have a guest on your podcast. And it's for some reason they're like, oh, I can only record if I'm in a tree that's molting. <laughs> and also if I can use this acorn to record on. Is that OK? Is that good for you, podcast? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I, I do need someone to collaborate with me on my creative <laughs> thing. So I'm like, I'm in a studio. 
I do this during the day. Right. I will do this for you. I want to be everyone's like favorite podcast guest, both the audience because I want attention, but also the podcasters themselves. Like I had the most fun with this person and it was easy and he recorded himself and he was on time. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. And the fact that I get to talk about food at the same time, Tom, I'm here for you. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's it. I'm like, especially with the show, like I feel like I don't need to have every guest be someone who is a professional media person in some capacity. Capacity, right because it is so much just sure. about the food it's not necessarily about the guests but when I get a guest who is a professional media person and can you know handle themselves on mic and has a mic yeah. I'm like ooh, ooh, the sweet spot here we go let's do it I'm sure this works well for you because people confuse me and Simon Majumdar quite a lot it's true yeah your accent so it's are just really like similar. You... <laughs> you're about the same age yeah for those who uh who don't know Eric is also the Partner, spouse, I don't know what kind of labels you guys have attached. Fian- fiancé now, fiancé. Oh, the affianced of... Uh, affianced, betrothed. Uh, of Amanda McLaughlin, who was our sort of guest third host, sort of, during our Tournament of Champions review uh, back in like May or June or whatever that was. Uh, Eric is, therefore, by extension, part of our family. Considering how much guys' grocery games I watch next to Amanda <laughs> and how much she told me that she got to talk about the Tournament of Champions and, like, the the amount of, like, big brain the Food Network is wrestling now <laughs> that went into the Tournament of Champions, I'm just like, yeah, that was the fix. They put the fix on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They sure yeah, did. Yeah. Er- er- and I'm just waiting for the heel turn that Antonia does at some point. Like, it's all happening. It's going to happen. I'm waiting for Hunter to reject Guy finally and launch his own food empire or something down the line, you know? Entirely possible. Like, they're, he's bringing him on so he can have his own show and they can have, like, a faux combative relationship. The fact that they're bringing on Top Chef people, I think, is, like, what's breaking it out. Is that like, oh, yeah, Brooke Williamson, please come in. You are more talented than a lot of these people. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to talk to another guy who's just like, hey, being Italian is all about food and family. I I do need someone else. Do I hate Christian? Am I tired of it? (laughs) Yes, I am. I love Christian. Please bring someone else in. Again, if I needed someone else to tell me that Italian food is is home cooked and that's how we talk because that's how we do in Italian families. Like, I just need somebody else. Sure. (laughs) The two choices are Italian family and the South. That's it. Those are the the only two types of people that have food traditions. (laughs) So I'm glad we can talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we can talk about your heritage. So, Eric, obviously, uh, you know, on the Food Network, there are only Italians and Southern people. Uh, but you are neither of those things, correct? Yes. I also want to make clear that they're talking about uh, white Italians and white Southern people. <laughs> want to be very clear about that. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. The Food Network is what it is. Uh, yeah. But, you know, short of shitting on the Food Network for the rest of this podcast, because why would we do that? We like the Food Network. We have our gripes with it, but we love it. Um, we do. We like it. We're just <laughs> mad about it. <laughs> Look, I think that you can criticize the things you love. All right, people. Um, Eric, I always ask my guests at the top of the show to tell me a little bit about themselves, where they grew up, how they grew up eating, uh, what their relationship with food is like historically and up to the present. Uh, So, yeah, paint us a little picture of yourself in all of your non-Italian, (laughs) non-Southern-ness. For sure. I also want to say, just to put a fine point on it, is that like I'm talking about Food Network at large, Guy Fieri is unlike the WWE has an incredible <laughs> feeder system and reaches out to the widest swath of 
folks, and I, that's why I think the Tournament of Champions is wonderful, because it gave a lot of people an opportunity to get in. I think this is demonstrated in a wrestling way of how Al- Alex Gornichelli went down to Darnell. Yep. In, was that season one? I can't, season one or season two. Like, I don't care if that was scripted or if that, like, if Gornichelli took a fall on that. Uh, because she is the Iron Chef in that way. Like, giving Darnell more of an opportunity to show his stuff throughout the larger of the tournaments, like, demonstrates that he's trying. So, I'm being critical of Food Network at large. I think the Tournament of Champions and Guy Fieri is doing a very, very good job of opening that stuff out, of opening that stuff up, which is why I am being particularly critical. I mean, critical of society at large and Food Network at large, but not uh, the Tournament of Champions guy, Fietti, the things that he's doing to expand the reach of food TV in the... I would say this is like 3.0 as we're talking about like what it kind of looks like uh, post-pandemic now that people are getting out of their kitchens and yeah. doing, not doing remote recording anymore. This feels to me like the, the sort of third wave food network or third wave yeah. food television is where we're at you know the first wave was like julia child the second wave was like early bobby flay stuff and mario batali and those guys and and now we're in this sort of yeah guy fieri world if even like there's a fourth one because the third one is like top chef and is like embodies top chef to me you know like we're not even talking about like kitchen nightmares or like <laughs> like yeah maybe it's like top chef on one side and like kitchen nightmares and bar rescue on the other side and now this fourth wave of promote of moving on that they're like everyone can have a food show but should everyone have a food <laughs> show and opening that up right. um but enough about food network let's talk about me instead yeah um uh, hey tom i'm jewish i'm i'm a jew i grew up outside of new york city uh, in the suburbs of westchester i also grew up kosher for 18 years of my life which means that even now eating seafood is a confusing uh (laughs) experience for me like i still see like eating a buffet of shrimp as like the most gourmet thing i've ever seen in my life i don't know how to open up crab legs it's very confusing for me i'm still trying to figure out like what crawfish are exactly sure so because of that i have some very like specific food memories surrounding that both in terms of like kosher and jewish food but also like the jewish obsession with like asian fusion and then making (laughs) it kosher um also like discovering pork and dealing with like if, if uh, eating pepperoni on pizza is like still something that blows my mind, cheeseburgers kind of still blows my mind. Putting cheese on meat is something I'm still just like, wow, what you can do that? I can't, I can't believe that. And also, like, there are then things that I think are coded Jewish in my head. Like, you know, there's kind of a joke that's like, is something like Goyish or like Christian or something Jewish, even if something is or is not. So like. Chinese food in so many ways feels like something that is coded as Jewish in my head. Not only because I, I've done, I do it and I love doing it on on Christmas, but like it, it just feels like you know being able to have vegetarian Chinese food, like veg, veggie dumplings, mm-hmm. and the taste of veggie dumplings, and the way that that mushroom does whatever it's doing inside of like the <laughs> carrot and cabbage slaw of of a steamed veggie dumpling. Like that feels very Jewish in my head as well. Um, and knowing that my mom cooked quite a lot for us, she's a very, very good cook and she loves like cooking chickens and, and finding more stuff. My parents are also divorced. So like dealing with the differences of like things that my mom would cook and then my dad would cook and also like figure out like, again, I hate mushrooms now. I know I just talked about the taste of mushrooms in, in, uh, Chinese cooking, but, uh, or Chinese, Chinese American food but like my dad putting canned mushrooms and everything and now i just like cannot 
handle the taste of them at all is something like very specific that I'm still like thinking about it. I I just hate the taste of mushrooms. The other thing is like I didn't have a lot of fast food because my mom I guess made it a point of pride to cook quite a lot and like when we would go out for pizza or get pizza on a weeknight because I was with my mom on weeknights getting pizza on a weeknight because my mom would work in New York City, come back to the suburbs, and then cook coffee for her and then cook for her kids. That was like a big thing. So getting pizza was like, oh, my mom is just like at her wits' end with this. Um, and also, my mom was married to this this guy for a while who like made a lot of calzones and like homemade <laughs> pizzas and stuff. Okay. He, he again. He was not an Italian. He wasn't Italian. He was just like he had like adult ADD and adult ADHD that he never got treated. So it's like when he would work on something, he would just be like, "Yeah, man, I just made calzones," and I'm like, "What? Holy shit! <laughs> All right, I guess we're eating this tonight." So um, I think yes, it wasn't because he was Italian. It was because of his his like untreated mental illness. Um, so I just, so I find like, uh, you know, cooking and doing that stuff at home is something I very, very much care about. Now my mom lives in Nashville with, uh, with her current husband, uh, Ed, who is wonderful and like very Southern in like, he like grew up, he's been like, like lived in Nashville, like in the 1950s, wow. like very deeply Southern. And like, he just, he's the kind of guy who just like picked up experiences from everywhere. And he's like a fucking wizard with the big green egg that they have. <laughs> You know what a big green egg oh, is? Oh, I know the big green egg. The, yeah, uh, the, for the big green egg is a smoker for those who don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's a, it's a ceramic grill. So, like, you can use it for smoking. And also, like, what this has turned into is we do Thanksgiving at my mom's house all the time. And now Amanda and I cook pretty much everything on Thanksgiving because we love her kitchen and we love doing it. And then, like, Ed goes out and, like, makes a turkey in, like, three hours because of the big green egg. So, like, Thanksgiving is such, like, a production for us now. Um, and I just, I love I love to cook. Cooking is, is very fun. I love food. I love thinking about why f- food is good. Um, and I guess like kind of that stuff has expressed itself both like from what I understand in, in, from Jewish cooking. Also my dad then married an Israeli woman. So like, there's also that, all that other stuff in the time that I've spent in Israel problematically, I would add, but like the food of Israel is very interesting as there's a collision of Middle Eastern flavors, like white Europeanism as like, you know, the way that Europe sees Israel as like a, like a bastion of not Middle Eastern stuff in the Middle East. And then of course, like Jewish stuff colliding with all of that together so i find the the food of israel really really interesting um and just like jewish food of all stripes yeah i mean it's interesting like talking about jewish food so like i took a course over the summer um taught by uh, a guy named michael twitty who's a uh, oh you did oh yeah. my god he fucking rules. love michael twitty I, my fucking man i, I love him i adore that man uh, he taught a really interesting course this summer uh over zoom called not your bubby's brisket um that was all about like how jewish food is really a lot more than the sort of um like ashkenazi normative food that we see a lot in like North American uh, depictions of Jewish food, right? Because like, if you ask the average American or the average Canadian, like, what's Jewish food, they're going to kind of go to the sort of deli staples, right? It's going to be things like, I don't know, like a smoked meat sandwich or like bagels and lox and and brisket, right? Uh, But it, it is so much more than that. It is so much wider than that. But yeah, so I took that course over the summer and it got me thinking a lot about what is and isn't kosher, right? Uh, and so, mm-hmm. you know, this idea in Judaism of foods that are, you know, 
kosher or kashrut and and okay to eat uh, and foods that are uh, the word for anti-kosher is treif or you know uh, forbidden uh, for mm. various reasons and one of the things that michael said in that course was that like depending on who you ask like those are going to be very different lists right like there are people who there there are jewish people who keep super kosher and and don't you know eat shellfish and don't do mixing of meat and dairy and don't eat pork uh, and there are others who will you know do some of those and not others and nothing about the way that you apply kosher law to your own diet affects whether or not you are Jewish. Mm-hmm. And that is a thing that kind of like really, it had never really sunk in for me before as someone who is not Jewish. Um, yeah. I, I grew up in yeah. Montreal and had a ton of Jewish friends growing up who were kind of all over the kosher spectrum. Uh, but like it had never really like clicked for me that like the way that you practice your food is not inherently linked to how pious you are. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, I have a bunch of things that I want to say to this, which is very interesting. One, the kosher spectrum is like is like uh, the the kidney oat scale, which is very <laughs> funny, and that's a joke only for me. Kidney oat is the idea that Sephardic Jews and Ashkenazi Jews, whether or not you can eat beans on Passover. Right. So like the Kinsey sta- scale to the canar- to the uh, kidney oat scale as the spectrum of, of kosher is very, very funny to me that you just said that. Um, it's also funny, I'm you being in Montreal, I think like Montreal and New York are analogs yeah. in this way. So like I don't even want to say Ashkenormative, which is like a thing that goes around Jewish Twitter sometimes. Sure. Because like I also think it's like white Jews from New York. <laughs> and like the thing is that is me and I have a lot of pride in those things. <laughs> So, like, I, I'm just like, I love those things because it's mine, sure. but I don't expect you to also think that way because it's not yours. And similar is as it is to think of, like, where do you get a good bagel? You can get a good bagel in every city because someone has taken, like, the Jewish bagel or the Montreal bagel and then turned it into their own thing. I think about the bagels that, like, you would find at, uh, there's, like, a, a Nashville bagel place mm-hmm. that, like, my mom and I send Instagram uh, messages to each other all the time. But it's, like, Jews, like, someone from New York then went to Nashville and brought that to Nashville. Right. But then made it, like, it is then mixed with a milieu of Nashville food. And, like, what does a Nashville bagel look like? My friend also, uh, there's another f- uh, friend I have, uh, there's a place called Bodo's Bagels, which is where you take, someone took New York bagels and did that in Charlotte. Virginia and then it's like what does that look like in the southern city next to UVA of bagels which I find very interesting and of course like Montreal bagels you touch those things but it's like again you're taking the traditions of New York white Jewishness and then taking it somewhere else and it can be it can look like whatever you want it to look like this is like a Chicago bagel which is kind of an interesting it, like it's smaller and crispier and they just put mustard on it yeah you run it through the garden <laughs> <Yeah>. as well <laughs> So that's just like my point about Ashkenormative things is like I feel a lot of possession over that because I grew up in that area. But I also think it's funny when you think about like Jerry Seinfeld, like Jerry Seinfeld had his mom is a Persian Jew. And like it's funny that he created the idea of like a New York Jew, but he also pulled from his own like Jewish experience, which like isn't just Ashkenazi. It has like Sephardic, which is Sephardic means everywhere else that where like your family didn't grow up in like a European shuttle. Right. That's like 
Spanish Jews and uh, Middle Eastern Jews and et cetera, et cetera. So I always thought that that, that was really interesting. Yeah, but yeah, when you talk about when you talk about kosher again, this Amanda and I have a lot of conversations about the difference between Catholic Catholicism and Judaism because you know, like on your long if you're on Long Island, which is where both of Amanda and I are from and our families are from, like you're either Jewish or Catholic, sure, yeah, and like so, so they feel like two sides of the same coin. So we talk about a lot of that stuff is like. Be, you are Jewish because you're part of the tribe, and then it, like, how much do you ascribe to the religiosity of that thing? And I, yes, being kosher doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you, your religiousness. While I feel like you would need to ascribe to these like basic tenets of Christianity and Catholicism, or you don't count, or you are not that. Right. You know. Well, that's it. And and like I grew up I mean I didn't grow up in a Christian household but at some point in high school they got me and I you sure. know, did the evangelical thing for a hot minute and a thing that really oh sunk in for me was like Christian practice around food is very limited there's not much right like depending on what sort of sect of Christianity you're part of uh, you might not eat meat on Fridays uh, if you're Catholic for instance but otherwise there's really not a whole lot of specifically like stated food practice around Christianity um, the the one thing you could kind of argue is that like taking communion is a food practice based around Christianity yes. right where you are I was just thinking that eating Jesus and like that you know the church tradition that i grew up in if you are not a communion taking member of the church you are not really part of god's body or whatever so you are not really a christian if you're not taking mm. communion assuming you are old enough to be taking communion consciously or whatever you know all of these sure, things break sure, down sure. if you throw enough questions at them but but that's the sort of gist of it and so this idea for me that like the way that you observe the food practices of Judaism does not necessarily affect how Jewish you are. That's so different. You know, that's such a different idea from what I got used to in evangelical Christianism. Christianity is what that's called. There we go. Yes. You know, it's very funny that you say that because like, I guess if you throw questions at Christianity, it breaks down. But if you throw questions at Jews, it's like Popeye eating spinach. Like you just get stronger and stronger and stronger. <laughs> Be like, yeah, that is, yeah, let let it, let's question that for a while. Come over here and we'll eat and we'll drink about it. And like that's so much about what I see Judaism to be. I think another thing to remember is that when you say Christian, a lot of times you mean American sure. or the other way around. You mean American. When you say American, you mean Christian. The thing you said about meat on Fridays, let let, or being closed on Sundays. Like, let's just talk about why is Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays? Cause it's Jesus's day. Right. At the same time, the McDonald's filet of fish only exists because McDonald's needed to recoup their money getting lost on Catholics not eating meat on Fridays. So they made the filet of fish. And like, that's like such like a, what? what? Like, it's a you're wrong about, about everything that you know. Right. Because when you say American, you mean Christian. And when you say Christian, you mean American. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure that counts for Canadian as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Canada is America light. Like, Canada is just America if America hadn't rejected the British as hard as it did. Yes. Uh, I actually spent quite a lot of time in Toronto. I went to uh, summer camp in the Muskokas outside of Toronto. Sure. So, like, t- Toronto Jews and Canadian Jews, I feel like, f- are just like, yeah, instead of getting, instead of like, 
getting Starbucks before you go to before after you go to Shabbat services, you just get uh, an ice cap from from Timmy Ho's. Right. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's a little cheaper and a little worse. <laughs> you have more. You're just carrying more coins, um, <laughs> and also like yeah, Toronto and like again, Jew Jews in all cities are all pretty much the same when you really think about it. <laughs> and I mean this in terms of like. Toronto Jews, Montreal Jews, New York Jews, LA Jews, all the way down to like places you wouldn't think there are Jews like Southern Jews and like Midwestern Jews. Like if you go to a city, there will be Jews there and they will do Jewish things. Sure. So so on doing Jewish things, and I mean, obviously we've been talking a lot about, you know, whether or not things are kosher and keeping things kosher and dietary whatnots. You mm-hmm. grew up kosher and obviously, yes. you know, you've You've hinted at this slash maybe even said it outright. You don't keep kosher anymore. So what no, what kind of changed for you there? What was the sort of, was there a tipping point? Was it a gradual thing? What kind of went into that for you? Oh, that's a good question. I think that when you observe things in all religions without understanding why you're doing it, there is a very quick opportunity to see it as a chore. And I saw keeping kosher as a chore. Why don't I get a, why don't I get to eat these types of foods that people really love and love eating? Why don't I get to mix these foods that people really love and love eating? Why do I need to spend more money on meat? Why do I need to use two sets of dishes, both milk and meat, when like I need to just cook and I'm a, I'm 18? You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, and I think that I was figuring out the things that I cared about in terms of my Jewishness and not. And I mean, like I did a lot of Jewish education in high school and in college i was like a part of uh jewish youth group in high school usy i was part of conservative sect of judaism um i participated like in the hillel at nyu um i was also like a camp counselor at that summer camp i was telling you about so like i participated quite a lot in jewish education but then it was just like what makes sense for me and then when you realize looking at the like institution of Judaism and being like oh y'all your one state solution or like the your one issue voting on just on Israel following under Republican bullshit I'm like no we can't do that especially <laughs> like especially starting in 2016 yeah. but like I'd start I'd saw that surrounding a lot of like Obama sucks because he hates Israel and I'm like one that's not true two what <laughs> like what are you talking about right. and like noticing like Fox News being on in my dad's house a lot especially as it surrounded my uh like Israeli stepmother and his and the way that like he they interacted with that stuff and realizing how that ties to like you know uh racial intolerance sure. etc so um yeah it just like became a thing that I started being aware of and like wanting to do the things that I cared about in terms of Jewishness like listen man now I talk about being Jewish all the fucking time <laughs> I talk about being a Jew openly and honestly especially when you realize uh you know the rise of neo-nazism all those neo-nazis that are around now mm-hmm. um and also the people who don't want me to talk about that in like polite uh, supposedly liberal company as sure, well. Sure, so like yeah. I'm talking more about Jewishness than I ever did when I was like in Jewish youth group. I'm talking about it publicly and openly, but now I'm doing it on my terms and the things that I care about. Um, and I care the most about like being proudly Jewish and especially as it relates to food and like how am I able to do that in public, mm-hmm. I guess. in And, um, you know, that has a lot to... Yeah, being able to do that in public I think is the thing that I've been wrestling with that quite a lot. 
Yeah, fair enough. That's that's really interesting. I um, I think there's something. One, kudos to you for for that. I guess realization of like wanting to do your Judaism in a more public and intentional way, almost as a sort of form of rebellion protest like I I, I don't really know what the word I'm looking for is here but like a a sort of way of asserting like hey I'm here get over yourself kind of kind of thing I like that a lot I think that that's admirable I appreciate that and like it is it's really hard to struggle with because you're doing these one you're doing these one of two things one you are being a uh, minority group in America right uh and yes I I am a white person I understand that and that is a lot like whiteness and Judaism coming together and like not being aware of that is very important but like again you are you are being a minority group an ethnic minority group in America yeah. and that's something important but then it becomes like struggling again against Jews and the institution of Judaism and being like, yeah, fuck you. Like, come on, like, you know, Stephen Miller's Jewish. And there's like, fuck, everything you're doing, fuck all the way off. Like, everything you're doing sucks and I hate it. So it's like, and then struggling against the institutions Mm. that like only recently acknowledged gay people. And like Michael Twitty has been laying down, like realizing that Judaism is a spectrum of people and that all are valid and all are Jews right. is also like another thing. So I'm doing those two things simultaneously is like saying loudly against America, but also saying loudly against the inst- institutional Judaism at this, uh, or the institution of Jewishness and like the, the institutions that are Jewish and want to adhere to those things. I think like the thing I realize the most now is when people say white supremacy, they also mean Jews. And just because they're letting you sit at the table right now doesn't mean they won't come after you once all the other people are gone. Right. And like that become that's a thing. It's like telling that to the Jewish institutions and then saying that to the American institutions at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes that makes sense. It's tricky. Like white Jews are white. That's true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but like white queer people are queer and white exactly right like there, exactly. there are these things that are you're still a marginalized person in spite of your whiteness and sometimes that can be a really hard thing to kind of hold in contention right because like you're not mm. the most marginalized but right. you're still think, you're still marginalized and and you still like that's still a very valid experience you know exactly it's like once just because you are less you are less marginalized than depending on who's looking at you you might be less marginalized than someone else standing next to you and pointing out that it's fucked that people are being marginalized and fucked everywhere that's the important thing yeah it's like you need to call it out at all times yeah it's it's the intersectionality of it exactly Hey, it's the mid-roll. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review we get during the month of November, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of the show, you're functionally donating $6 worth of food to people who need it. There's literally no other way to turn zero into six. So if that math is exciting for you go do it you can read all about what the depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode now that this show has been heavily focused on food for a while i went back and noticed that most of our existing apple podcast reviews are really outdated and still talk about the show like it's a comedy podcast so if you've already left the review in the past maybe take this opportunity to go update it and i'll include that as a new review even if it's technically just an update of an old one because accurate reviews are more helpful than outdated ones i will also remind you that both of the regular hosts of this show use they them pronouns uh so please don't 
you know, use the wrong pronouns for us. And hey, to make it easier on yourself, if you're someone who has trouble with singular they them pronouns, ooh, fuck that. But you know, if you are, talk about both hosts, because then you got, you know, plural they them. So you don't have an excuse. Just do it. Use they them pronouns when you're talking about us in your reviews, please. And thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to last week's episode, where my co-host Heffer and I talked about the history of coffee and all of our favorite ways to drink it, go cue that up and listen to it after you finish with this one. It's a really fun episode, and also, I recorded it while I was literally dying with a miserable cold, so uh, you owe it to me to validate that choice by contributing to our download numbers. Uh, go do it. I, I, I suffered for you. <laughs> On a personal note, I wanted to do an episode about non-kosher Jewish food because I am personally exploring Judaism as maybe an option for myself. Uh, some of you might have been following this show for long enough to know that there was a time in my life when I was a pretty evangelical Christian, and uh, that life is far behind me now. But uh, I have been thinking recently about faith systems and about, you know, religion, uh, on a whole and on a larger scale and culture and like i don't know judaism feels really appealing to me for a lot of reasons and uh yeah I, i've been thinking about it i don't know that's where i'm at with it right now is that i i've been thinking about it enough that i feel comfortable saying that i've been thinking about it uh but this is a personal journey for me so who knows if my thinking about it will lead anywhere or if it will just continue to be thought but i thought it would be fun and interesting to have a conversation about non-kosher jewish food uh while i've been thinking about it so much because part of where I'm at with thinking about it is thinking about how if I were Jewish, if I were to decide to convert to Judaism, I don't think I would want to keep kosher. Uh, and that's an interesting kind of place to be because like, I don't know, everyone I know who is Jewish and doesn't keep kosher started out Jewish already instead of converting. And everyone I know who converted started to keep kosher. So it feels like a kind of a weird place to be at. And that's kind of why I'm thinking about it as much as I'm thinking about it, as opposed to just going through the steps and becoming Jewish, because I'm like, well, where am I at on that? How much do I think I can reconcile that? Because I, yeah, anyway, these are some little ramblings, some little thoughts. Uh, <laughs> just wanted to be transparent with you guys that that is where I'm coming from in this episode of wanting to talk about non-kosher Jewish food, is that I'm exploring my own relationship to faith and to food and how those interact with each other and you know this felt like an important conversation for me and hopefully for you as well it will be a valuable thing to listen to all right that's enough for me let's get back to my conversation with eric so let's like let's get to a, a kind of happy note let's get to a sure the, the joy of the show the joy of the food right because we're you know I think it's important to examine the cultural context of stuff. I think it's important to like talk about the truth and the reality of situations, which is that they are hard and they are complicated. Um, but the ultimate goal of the show is of course, to celebrate food and to, to celebrate the things that we love. So yes. uh, tell me about the non kosher Jewish food that you love, or I guess the non specifically kosher. Cause I'm, I'm sure there's stuff that is just accidentally kosher, you know? No, I think it's totally, it's true. And just, you know, it all just feels very, it's all kind of just like wrapped up in everything, right? Because, you know, there are the all of the locks that I love. And I have the wonderful benefit living in my portion of Green of Brooklyn. I live in Greenpoint, which is a neighborhood right in the, in the northern tip of Brooklyn as Queens and, and Brooklyn kind of kiss up there. Sure. Um, You're in the kiss. 
I'm right there in the smooch. And near <laughs> there the is a... <laughs> yeah. Listen, that's where that's why there's a bridge. Uh, that's the Newtown Creek. Oh, gross. Uh, where, where, where everyone in New York dumps their trash and pollution. Um, this kiss is sounding right... less and less pleasant. Hang on. It's a real nasty kiss. <laughs> I'm right there in the nasty slurp, kiss. Slurp, slurp. <laughs> Tom, this is a food show. Don't do that. Right up there, I'm lucky enough that I'm near the Acme Fish Company. <laughs> and if you might know about Acme Fish, it is like where all the where all of the rich places in New York gets their gets their locks. Mm. Like we're talking about Dean and DeLuca, you're talking about Russ and Daughters, the stuff they don't make in house. Like ve- this is very expensive stuff. But on Fridays they have something called Fish Fridays, and on Fridays they sell wholesale prices, locks at a pound at a time Ooh. to people. So I walk down there and I get like pounds and pounds of fish, and then I get to like you the way that I've been explaining it to people is that I've been using it like deli meat sure that like I'm gonna throw it on a sand I'm gonna throw it on a sandwich I'll throw it on a or I'll throw it on a on a bread product or I'll throw it on a on a on a bagel of course but then like let's throw it on some eggs sure let's throw this on a salad let's throw this like on whatever like let's get funky with what kind of bread products we're using is it gonna be like a pita is it gonna be like on on a lafa or like a more of a wrap situation sure are you just gonna go into the fridge at three o'clock in the morning and pull out a single piece of salmon and shove it in your mouth probably you best you're goddamn right i am that's your right as an american as in my right as an American is going into the fridge and eating a piece of meat, and that meat is lox. Um, and, like, the, it's it's incredibly delicious, and the different flavor, flavors of lox they have, obviously, they have standard issue, regular, no rub. But uh, but they also have, like, lemon pepper. Mm. They have togarashi seasoning Ooh. now. My person personal favorite, the uh, holiest of holies, the lox of lox, is pastrami lox, where they rub Stop. all that black pastrami seasoning on top of it and it tastes insane stop that sounds so good and it is and it's right there and i'm lucky enough that i get to buy this at pounds at a time for like listen it's 18 dollars 18 dollars is not maybe if you don't want to just drop a 20 on some fish right now (laughs) that's fine but it's definitely less than i'm gonna get at like at a at a deli or at a grocery store and it's like it's truly the best locks that I've ever had in my life. I like being the locks person now. They're like I bring it to places, I bring it to people, I bring it to my family out on Long Island. I've brought it to Nashville a bunch of times in a cooler <laughs> bag. It's just like I like being able to deliver this to other places and to other people because I have the access and it's just it's quite fun and it's delicious. Also they like sell like salmon roe there too. So I feel like I've been experimenting with that a little bit um, and like kind of just like putting salmon roe on stuff. So in terms, it's like, again, I'm mixing Jewish food with like whatever stuff. So if I make an omelet, I'm going to put some salmon roe on top of it. Sure. If I make like rice and tofu and uh, veggie stuff, I'll maybe I'll put some maybe I'll put some salmon roe on it as well. So, again, it's mixing the, the food traditions. I think I put it on Indian food once, which was really good because hey, like the Indian food, I, I always get like um, – Sog because I love like the spinach stuff, yeah. so I'll get like sog sog paneer maybe or or lamb sog, and then like you know it's all like unctuous and cheesy and 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 fatty, and then I'll like I'll put a little bit of spicy dollop on that, um, and mixing all of that together, it has just been really really delicious. That rules. I think the specific thing that we've been talking about is I love deeply love. Edith's in Brooklyn. Sure. Uh, Edith's has been blowing up lately. It's like all over food, like food, cool food Instagram lately. (laughs) 
Um, Edis is a, is a used to be a pop up, but now it is a full fledged like I guess you would call it a sandwich shop, but it's just like a Jewish food place. Um, I've been going there since the first day. They opened up across the o- across the street from the office, the multitude office, oh, in which I am recording. So like I went there on the first day. It was rainy, and I got a bacon, egg, and cheese, and latka on a on a cinnamon raisin bagel, and it blew my fucking mind. That rules. I love that. Like. I'm There's looking at a picture of that exact bagel right now, I think. It is it's so incredible. And they've been doing so much more now that they're freestanding. They have something they have an ice cafe, which is like an Israeli thing. In Israel, they sell tons and tons of ice cream because it's so hot in there all the time. Mm. And they also sell iced drinks. So the ice cafe is kind of like Imagine a Frappuccino, but it, a Frappuccino being made in, like, you know, an icy machine. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> At all so. times. And, like, that's what they serve in Israel, and they'll just kind of, like, give you a plastic cup, and you can fill it up, and you give them a few shekels. Can I blow your mind? What? Uh, that is the way that I first experienced the iced cappuccino was straight out of basically a slushy machine. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I think it's wonderful because, like, I lo- I just love the taste. Like, iced coffee is delicious. Yeah. But texturally, it's nice when it has a texture, you yes. know, as opposed 100%. to just being a cold coffee drink. I really, yeah, there's nothing quite like having it be a little bit gritty, you know? Yeah. Oh, God, I like the ice, the ice and like the cream and the sugar just all being in there. But Edith's has taken that a step further. They do that, but they put tahini and cr- like super fatty oat milk together. Tahini. And it's it's like... Yeah, it's, and then it becomes this, like, speckled, nutty, brown and white slushy thing that is one of the greatest things I've ever had in my entire life. That's incredible. I would not have thought of putting tahini in a coffee, but I, I think that's really smart. I think the fact that it's, like, speckled in there makes it good, because if I was, like, I wouldn't put, like, tahini, like, in an iced coffee, like, in cold brew. You know what I mean? Sure. But, like, the fact that it's, like, part of, like, this slushy smoothie thing, I think, really helps. And it's very much speckled in there. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they've, like, they're doing – they uh, Edith just did this interview on First We Feast, like, you know, the thing that Hot Ones is under that's part of, like, Complex. And they just did a uh, – they, they are doing this documentary on it. And um, the owner was talking about, like – yeah, I really want, I, I remember all my friends being like, oh, I want to go for Thai food. I want to go for Chinese. I want to go for Indian. Like, what if you could say, oh, I want to go for Jewish food right now? Right. And I wonder if there's something about it being like so casual and cool. Like, I just like that Jewish food can be cool in that way. And Edis is really trying really hard. And I think there is, you need to buck being kosher off of that. Because, like, you need to participate, I guess, in the modernity that is food. Mm. And on some level, I realize that there's something, some assimilation in terms of that. Like, you need to do America, and by America, I mean Christian things. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But I think there is a way to be cool and also hold on to your, like, ethnic traditions of food. Yeah. And the fact that, like, everyone is doing that as all over food TV. You know what I mean? But, like, Edis is doing that, too. So, like, I'm going to tuck in to, like an insane bacon, egg, and cheese and latka and not lose that. And the fact that, like, people are selling that and anyone can go into the store and buy that, and a lot are. Like, you should see the lines that are around the block for this stuff. It just makes me really deeply happy. The food on there, and, like, they're doing things from all over the spectrum of Jewish food. Like, we're talking about things from the Middle East. We're talking about some Persian food being thrown in there. We're talking about, like, 
uh, from different traditions of American Jewry as well. Um, I think there's some like South American Jewish stuff that's being added in there just in terms of the spices and how like the fusion of foods within this like palette of Jewish food um, I think is quite wonderful. And I'm just I am obsessed with Edith's. I am like their food influencer because I've been going there so much. <laughs> like the people know people there know me now. They said that they would bring ice cafes to my wedding. So um, I'm going to hold them to that. That's but amazing. I just I'm so happy for them. And it's something that has brought me a lot of joy, especially during COVID when they really when they started up, they started in, uh, last year. So it's brought me a lot of joy. And again, it's about being Jewish loudly and publicly and uh, hope and having people enjoy the fruits of that labor. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's wonderful. I love that. Yeah, it's interesting, like, that that note of, like, wanting it to be cool to go get Jewish food, you know? That's, that's yeah. not... You're right. That's not something that we hear much. Like, I, when I think about even places that my, like that my Jewish friends here like to go to, you know, if we're like, let's, you know, go out somewhere, obviously you're during non-pandemic times because you know, sure. it is what it is. But like, if we were going to a restaurant together that like had to accommodate all, you know, it had to be a kosher restaurant because, you know, not all of my Jewish friends were kosher, but enough of them were sure. that it had to be kosher. There were like two or three options and None of them were like super exciting, with the exception of like one kosher sushi place that was pretty good. But yeah, there, there was shout out uh, kosher sushi. Yeah, <laughs> right. But there, there's, there's like, there's not really like I can't think of any places that I think of as like the Jewish restaurant that we like and are excited to go to. Like, there's, there's one that I remember fondly, but it's just because the first time I went there was also the first time I ever got potatoes put in my shawarma instead of on the side and that was Let's a game go. changer but like it wasn't it wasn't a nice place or anything it was just you know they put potatoes in the shawarma i want to shout out all the places that had a robust vegetarian menu because that was a lifesaver for me as a jew for me as a kosher person right and again that's like my nostalgia and my association with like veggie dumplings is very much is very much that um i think also this is to say it's helpful that you're in montreal and i'm making these comparisons in, in jews and cities but like the smoked meat of Montreal and the uh, prototypical Jewish thing of New York, I think, is baked into the city in the way that, like, you would go to the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty in New York. Like, it's just like, oh, it's the, the, the touristy thing. It's like, it's just like the thing you do in the city. And, like, you wouldn't be like, oh man, can we go, let's go to this new Thai place or we can go to the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> Would you like that? And like, again, I also want to go to that Thai place. That Thai place is delicious and they're probably doing some insane stuff. But I think like, again, this is the fetishization of like other people's culture right. that is a part of foodie culture and food TV. Um, how you, you'll be like, oh yeah, show your story, show your thing to me, and then I can determine whether it's cool or not. And I want that on some level because I think it has some level of acceptance, but being able to hold on to your thing as you do it, I think is the thing that I'm reaching for. And I think that Edith's is very much achieving. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it. Like I think about, you know, you mentioned Montreal smoked meat and like, yeah, Montreal smoked meat rules. We, we have the best smoked meat. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's our thing. Uh, a friend of mine's great uncle was the guy who invented Montreal steak spice at Schwartz's, which is the place Yo. that does the famous smoked meat. Like it's, it is such a Montreal thing, but like 
we don't just go to Schwartz's, you know, <laughs> like right, Schwartz's exactly. has a line down the block and always has because they've got like four tables, but it's not the kind of place that you just like go and it's like, oh, it's the cool thing. We're going to go, you know, grab some smoked meat. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a treat almost, you know? Yeah. I wish that there was more like Edith's out there and I'm excited to see what Edith, what Edith's will do going forward and if copycats will emerge. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I want, I ultimately, I just want more good restaurants out there and good food is associated with you doing your shit and like hopefully, and then like making that accessible to as many people as possible without losing your heart. And like, listen, I'm not, not just talking about like food, which is tied up in ethnicity. I mean, this is our pod. This is how we do podcasts too, right? Right. Like you're talking about the thing you love and then opening up to as many people as possible. That's the multitude model. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of parallels there, but like the problem is when it's like America, white America, white Christian America are, is rubber stamping what's cool or good or not. Right. That's the, that's the issue. And that's what you're running into. Yeah. Um, I keep thinking, I, I think a lot about, um, this restaurant I went into Seattle who is, uh, that's put on by Shoda. I can't remember the name. Shoda was the, came in like, was one of the finalists of the most recent top chef season. Yeah. And he's incredible, and I loved it. And they had a karage place, which is like the fried chick, the the Japanese fried chicken, which is so fucking delicious. And the the restaurant we went to that it opened up, it was so cool in there. It was like it had a lot of like Japanese imagery, and it was set up kind of like a late night street Japanese food place. But it was accessible. They framed it to people it was like, "Hey, do you not know what karage is? Like, it's just fried chicken." Or like, or, or it, it was presented in the vein that like these chicken tenders restaurants like tendies or nuggies sure. or whatever the fuck are presented as like yeah this is that stuff and it's all but it's all Japanese but here's your you can buy these and here are the spices and here are the sauces and like it was so accessible to people I was just like so happy that he found a way to tell people the thing that he loved without sacrificing any of his shit and it was so popular and so delicious yeah um, I love that and even like when he did it it was like there was like a like a pasta salad thing and it had like chunks of spam in it and it was made with QP mayo and it was called Japanese pasta salad and I'm like <laughs> it's just pasta salad with Japanese ingredients that's the <laughs> smartest shit I've ever heard I'm so proud of you Shoda and like that's the thing that I hope for Jewish food and I think that people are really tapping in to their food and doing that as well obviously I can't speak for them but like seeing that just made me really happy and being able to eat that stuff and again it's delicious and incredible and I think people are still thriving yeah. uh, while, while, while talking their shit which I thought was really made me really happy I love that yeah I think like when I think of my, when I think of like restaurant experiences that will live with me forever, it is very often when you go into a place and you can tell that the chef just really wants you to like the food. Like I, yeah. I went once to a restaurant that doesn't exist anymore. That was just a little like hole in the wall place with like one or two tables. And I went on a double date with the girl I was seeing at the time and some friends of ours. And we sat down and there were two things on the menu and both of them were schnitzel. And it was just, do you want pork or veal? And then the guy came out with your schnitzel like 45 minutes later, uh, served oh it to God. you and played the violin while you ate and played Hungarian folk music while you ate. And That's now so I'm Hungarian so this like especially hit home for me but that was like just it was it was among the best schnitzel I've ever eaten and 
it was so clear to me that this dude just wanted to make schnitzel for people and play the violin for them. And he was like, fuck it, I'm going to do this as a restaurant. And like, I, you know, obviously the business didn't last very long, but it was so sure. beautiful to me that he chose to do that. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I want to encourage people out there. If you have a food that you are, you know, passionate about and want to share with people, find ways to do it. You know, don't necessarily feel like you have to open a restaurant, but like do it on a small scale if that's what it takes. Cause there is a beauty in sharing those things. For sure. I a hundred percent agree. I'm thinking about the thing I said about either the Thai restaurant or the Statue of Liberty. Right. And what I and great joke. Good job, me. And like what I'm not what I'm realizing now as talking about this is like I'm not talking about the Thai place. What I am talking about is like, oh, we can go to this place that has a twenty dollar chicken sandwich with no spices on it or we can go to the statue of liberty (laughs) and like that's truly what i mean the most like like what is approved is like oh you can get a 15 dollar drink and like a pretty bad chicken sandwich here but like it looks cool and we've approved it and is like for um middle class upper middle class young white people to eat there or like you can go eat at the thing that is your food and your restaurant and doing your shit and hopefully the 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 things at large will help all of those places with the people doing their shit their food helping them thrive and continuing and existing yeah yeah that's the dream eh yeah absolutely (laughs) well eric Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of No Bad Food. Thank you for sharing your story and for sharing your thoughts on Jewish food and Jewishness and Edith's. And uh, I'm jealous that they're across the street from you because that sounds like a real good setup, man. That's never move your office. Now it is down. It is like a bunch of blocks away because they got like a their freestanding thing. And it hurts me every single day. Oh, no. I can't just go there. It's so upsetting. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sucks then. Edith, why did you have to hurt Eric like that? It's okay. They know my name there, and I'm bringing my mom there on Monday, and I'm very excited for them to for them to know my name. I love that. Um, I just I gotta ask. Earlier, you mentioned the bagel place in Nashville making Nashville bagels. Do they dip them in hot oil? How do they do it? What's the What's the thing? <laughs> yeah, they make them like Nashville hot chicken. That's how they do it. Um, Instead of I, boiling it in honey water, you boil it in just the, the, the spiciest oil. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of cayenne in that. That's oh, how they do it. Um, no, my mom has also been there a bunch of times, and like they've, she's also talked to them and, and and met them. Yeah, no, they just do it. They do it very similarly. But I think that like the fact that they're like a new spot in like a in a burgeoning city, and Nashville is one of the, like the fastest growing cities in the United States. Mm. So it's like seeing them like flex their shit and do Jewish bagels in like. And trying to like survive with the rent skyrocketing is like that's also the kind of thing. It's like existing, existing in this modern, existing in like the modern realities of having a food establishment right. in the 21st century is like the thing that I'm the most excited about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, before I let you go, do you have any final words of wisdom for people and or things that you would like to plug? Now is your chance. Yes, my final word of wisdom as uh first of all, Hanukkah starts in November and people should remember that. <laughs> it goes mm. Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Hanukkah. So people it's Sunday night, that Sunday night, remember. But if you're making latkes, if you have a KitchenAid mixer and if you have the meat grinder attachment, put your potatoes through the meat grinder. Oh. It like because 
because it like aerates them and your latkes become incredibly fluffy. Oh. Some people put bake baking soda in their mat in their latke meal before they fry it for this reason. You don't have to do it. It aerates it if you put it through the meat grinder attachment. You have just you have just radically improved my upcoming latke consumption, let me tell you, because I hate using just a cheese grater to get my potatoes. Mm-hmm. All grated, and I have the KitchenAid meat grinder attachment. Let's go. You still need. You should still do it like you do it with meat. Like still freeze every single part of it. Get as cold as possible. But if you put it in chunks and you feed it through, like you would with meat, you should, it, it definitely helps. I'm now realizing I invented that. I've seen that trick nowhere else. And I want to spread the gospel of the meat grinder to as many people as possible. Did you just give us an exclusive? It's not an exclusive. It's just like fucking do it <laughs> like like food hacks like i don't know man hell yeah i love it sorry did simon majumdar not say that at his episode believe it or not simon majumdar has not given me any advice yet about how to make latkes with a meat grinder and i'm frankly disappointed <laughs> in him <laughs> i'm trying my best uh where can people find you on the internet if you want to be found hell yes you can find me on twitter at E-L underscore Silvero, E-L underscore S-I-L-V-E-R-O. My name, if I was a Lucha Libre wrestler, (laughs) I'm on Twitter a lot. But you can also listen to all of the shows that I make. You can listen to Join the Party, a fifth edition Dungeons & Dragons podcast, which is quite good, and I think it's very fun. Um, Right now we're doing a superhero campaign, a modern superhero campaign, based in a a small town in upstate New York that grows to the size of a city over a very quick amount of time because of the, like magic science that has happened there that also creates superheroes um, and we're having a lot a lot a lot of fun with that and I think they were pretty good um, also you can listen to all the shows on Multitude um, Multitude's great and has a podcast that you're going to fall in love with yeah absolutely go check them out they are a lovely collective of people and uh, yeah I mean obviously people listening to this there's a decent chance already that you like Dungeons and Dragons podcasts by virtue of liking me so uh, go check out Join the Party you will not be disappointed. Hell yes. Believe when we do all of our world building, we always start there at some point someone asks the question about food and like what is this local this place's local delicacy and why. Um, I will say that in Lake Town City, the city that, that we are talking about, um, the local delicacy is mountain lobsters. Okay. Which is a which is a, a term for crawfish that I looked up and I found and I adopted it uh, as for upstate New York, Lake Town City. And there is a pizza place similar guy I guess to like those of you who um uh who have like a Connecticut pizza like a New Haven pizza sure like there is a there is a clam pie that you might be familiar with so similarly there is a mountain lobster pie a white pie with mountain lobster meat on it that uh everyone that is very well known in Lake Town City amazing despite I mean Montreal's pizza culture is I could do a whole episode about this I'm not going to get too into it right now but in Montreal you're more likely to find a pizza place owned by a Lebanese guy or a Greek than you are by an Italian um and our pizza is fairly just you know standard crust tomato sauce cheese kind of situation but recently i have really been getting into white sauce pizzas so maybe i'll uh try to find myself someone that'll give me a clam pie or a lobster yeah. pie. we'll see okay a, a, a mountain lobster pie yeah <laughs> that's that's what i'll ask them for and see what they respond with and be like what the fuck are you talking about fuck out i've got customers to serve <laughs> eric thank you so much absolutely
Thank you so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to be heard of the conversation? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at No Bad Food Pod or at Tom Zalatni. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, head to patreon.com slash no bad food pod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, and David. Our patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if that's an exciting idea for you, you can head to patreon.com slash no bad food pod to make it happen. We also have merch, and you can, of course, hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at Tee Public. and you can support us for free by leaving a rating review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach Ingalls, and our cover art is by David Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. Last but certainly not least, this show was produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at UpfordNetwork.com. See you next week. You are- it just takes a little time It takes a little time It takes a little time with me I hope you don't mind We'll take it slow this time Dungeons, Dragons, Canada, the Multiverse Theory, Corgis, Queer Representation, Reconciliation, Angels, Demons, Squirrels, Moose, Moose and Squirrels, Sorcerers, Dinosaurs, Forests, Giants, Rogues, Warlocks, Plains, Sewers, Lavender, Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. Hello, my name is Stefan, and please join me every week for my podcast, Some Good Friends, a show where I talk to some good friends of mine. Previous guests have included a Reiki healer, the heir to the Redenbacher popcorn throne, the person definitely not responsible for the murder hornet outbreak, and Jack Nicholson. Comes out Mondays, early in the morning. Check it out, and you might laugh.